Okay, starting in Isaiah 43, reading from verse 1 to 11. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. And turning to Matthew chapter 7 which is page 685 in your Bibles. Matthew 7, starting at 13 and reading through to 28. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you'll recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, been six weeks that we've been looking at this, and we've seen some spectacular things, haven't we? Some amazing heights. Jesus calls us to be sons and daughters of God, and he calls on us to live as sons and daughters of God. But while there's been some spectacular heights, there's also also been some fairly steep, rocky kind of hill climbs along the way as well. Do you remember some of the things we've seen? He's told us that as sons and daughters of God, we're called to persecution. Way back in the first week we saw that. He's told us that our, our hearts and not just our actions, are to be pure. And he's called us to answer hostility with love. We've seen that our relationship with God has got to be genuine. So as sons and daughters, we've got to get rid of hypocrisy and our desire to be seen and praised. We saw that we've got to break our allegiance to money and possessions, surrender our anxiety... And along the way, abandon judgmentalism as well. Being a son or a daughter of God means embarking on a journey through life that is often steep and rocky and hard. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there are only two paths through this life ahead of us. And we've got to choose which journey we're going to take. We can take the easy road or the one that's hard. And Jesus warns us of three potential delusions which can affect which journey we choose to take. He says that we can be deluded by the appearance of the journey. He says we can be deluded by the people that we actually meet along the journey. And he says in this last passage that we can even be deluded by ourselves, that that we're even on the journey. We're going to see these three things today. The first thing he says to us is, don't be deluded by the appearance of the journey. The rough, lonely road is the one that leads to life. Have a look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is saying that if we do what comes naturally to us, think and and feel and and live according to our instincts, we'll just follow the path of of least resistance. We'll simply get on with the day-to-day life, mindful of the next weekend, thinking about the next holiday, but we'll ignore 
what we're casually walking towards. The human default, it's just to flow along the path that's easiest, not to swim against the flow, not to resist the masses, but to casually, mindlessly walk through life down the gentle slope that Jesus says in the end takes us to destruction. I saw The Matrix at the movies when it came out, I think, in 1998. Uh, I I went as a last-minute decision, so I I hadn't really heard anything about it. I had no idea what it was about. And if you've seen the movie, it takes you kind of three-quarters of the way through to figure out what's going on. But in that movie, machines... Sorry if this is spoiling it, but it's been, you know, quite a while, so you really should have seen it by now. (laughs) But the machines have taken over the world in this movie. And humans are their prisoners and they don't even realise it. They live their lives in this disgusting little pod and very few of them ever kind of realise the hell they're in and even less ever break free, like Neo. Well, Jesus says to us here in this passage that we have our own kind of real-life delusion going on. Our delusion is that most of us prefer to ignore the fact that we die And most people, more or less, ignore the God who's given us life. And unless something drastic actually shakes us up, unless something breaks us free from the the spell that we're under, we won't look up from our path until we reach its bitter end. But Jesus speaks here and he shatters our delusion. He says, unless you come to him, you're on the road to destruction hell. That road looks good now, but we shouldn't be deluded. The fact that the journey's easy to get onto, and it's easy to keep following, the fact that most people are on it, it does not mean that it will will end well. The other journey that Jesus outlines has the appearance that it might end badly. You know, it's hard to even find the entrance to begin with. It's rough going along the way, and it's a quiet lonely road. But again, we shouldn't be deluded by appearances. This road ends in the kingdom of God. It ends in life. It it makes me think of a camping trip that I went on, fishing um, for trout at the base of a waterfall. A friend had told me about this spot and he uh, he told me how to get down the side of the um, cliffs, down to the river below. He said there's two tracks One looks like the obvious choice, but don't take it because it ends in sheer cliffs. He said, the other one looks like a goat wouldn't touch it. That's the one to take. It'll get you down to the river. So as you can imagine, when I got to Ebor Falls, I spent the whole time looking for the worst possible track I could find. And sure enough, it got me down there. I didn't catch any trout, but I did see a platypus. I didn't catch it. (laughs) But here, Jesus says the hard road, the one that looks like you shouldn't touch it. That's the one that's going to get you to life at the end. Whereas the one that looks like the obvious choice, the one that everyone thinks is the obvious choice, is not the journey to be on. But what exactly does Jesus mean when he says the gate is narrow? Well, it's narrow because the only way onto this journey is through Jesus. The only way to life is through Jesus. Now, most people think that sounds not narrow, but narrow-minded, don't they, when we talk like that? And you can understand why it sounds that way, can't you? I mean, if I'm saying that the only way 
to escape destruction is through Jesus, then I'm saying that every other religion has got this bit wrong, this critical bit. And if I'm saying that every person who's not following Jesus is on the the track that leads to destruction, then you can very much understand why people think that this sounds incredibly narrow-minded, can't you? But if I say the only way to get to Kangaroo Island is by the Sea Link Ferry, if if you're driving a normal car, the only way that you can get to Kangaroo Island is via via the Sea Link Ferry, is that narrow-minded? It's not, is it? It's narrow... But it's not narrow-minded. If you're driving a car, it's the only way to get there. It's just the fact. Jesus says the only way to life is by coming to Him. The way to life is incredibly narrow. That's exactly His point. But it's not narrow-minded if it's true. Jesus also says the way is hard. But what exactly does He mean by that? What he's saying is that in this life, it's, it's hard living as a son or daughter of God. I mean, just think back over the Sermon on the Mount. Does the journey of a child of God, as we've seen it, sound easy? There's persecution. There's struggling against the evil within us. There's fighting against our self-centered motivations. Then there's the danger of hypocrisy. There's the danger of living for money. There's the danger of being judgmental, Jesus says. In Matthew 16, Jesus describes our journey like this. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It doesn't sound like an easy journey, does it? And we need to hear this. The road of a son or daughter of God, it's, it's hard. So often I meet Christians who, are, who actually get surprised when, when they find the road underneath them rocky and their faith in God's shaken. Somehow they've allowed themselves to be deluded that the way should be easy. Now is a, is a good time to get this clear in our minds. If we're choosing life in Christ, then Jesus says we're choosing the narrow, hard way. It's not supposed to be easy. Just this week, I was reading an article on the SBS um, website by a journalist called Robert Burton Bradley. You can see the title up here. Claims Evangelical Christian Churches Preach Gay Hate in Public Schools. The rest of the article, just like that, that heading, is completely sensationalist. And either the author just is really ignorant of what evangelical Christians are like, or he's deliberately trying to make hard... Uh, life hard for them. As you read through the article, his problem with these evangelical Christians is that they believe that the the Bible is what God says and, and they believe that what God says in the Bible really is true. And so he twists what these evangelical churches are saying to make it sound like they're promoting violence against homosexuals. And this is published on the SBS website. Now, to me, it feels like he's exploiting the awful, awful tragedy of what happened in Orlando to imply that evangelical Christians are promoting the same sort of thing. You've got to read the article. It's unbelievable. And I happen to know these churches that he's talking about. I know some of the ministers. I've visited them, the churches. And believe me, they would never promote any kind of violence. 
They would never promote hate of homosexual people. Yes, they believe the Bible, and yes, they say that God says in the Bible that homosexuality is wrong, but they promote true tolerance where we love all people, whether we agree with them or not. It's pretty clear that the author of the article, Robert Burton Bradley, wants them kicked out of public schools. And so he's trawled through their online sermons to find bits that he can, he can twist for that agenda. When you think about what he's doing, it's, it's pretty awful. You, you wouldn't wish it on your enemy. But it shouldn't be surprising at all to us. Jesus says this way is hard. For all we know, the same thing could happen to us here. Robert could be going through our online sermons even now. Hello, Robert. Please treat me nicely. Don't misquote me like you did those guys. But you know what? Whether it's Robert, whether it's someone else writing an article, or whether it's a completely different situation, it's only a matter of time before we experience some bumps on the road. We shouldn't be surprised to find that it's rocky. But neither should we be scared that it might get rocky. Sometimes Christian organisations and churches try to motivate people to take action out of fear, fear of what might happen in the future. But fear is useless to us. It just causes us to write nasty emails to politicians and journalists. It's completely unnecessary for sons and daughters of God. The road has always been hard. It can be hard right now. And we're guaranteed at some point in the future it's going to be hard again. We've got every reason to expect that the road is going to be rough, but no reason whatsoever to fear. God is our Father. Come what may, He loves us and He's in control. If we were to be unwelcome here, for whatever reason, our Father would look after us, wouldn't He? We have nothing to fear. And who knows, it could end up being actually the best thing for us because suddenly it would clarify for us that we're not on about comfort, even though it's not always that comfortable in here without great heaters. But if we, it, would, it would clarify for us that we're on about living for God, not what's easy. In the end, the only thing we should fear is that we might somehow unintentionally be on the broad, comfortable road that leads to destruction. This journey, it can be rough. And you can experience it even in really small ways. Like when you're not laughing at the jokes that other people are laughing at in the staff room. Even something as small as that, that can be rough at times. Or like when your kids are pressuring you to let them play sport on a Sunday morning and they just won't let up and leave you alone about it. Even a small thing like that can be rough. And at certain points in our lives, on our journey, it can be incredibly rough. At a church I went to in, in Sydney, a lady in her late 30s was interviewed one week and um, one of the questions the minister happened to ask her was something hard that had happened in the last year. It's why I never ask this question in jukebox interviews because um, it can get pretty intense pretty quickly. She answered honestly for some reason, very honestly. And she said that a Christian guy, uh, a non-Christian guy, sorry, Um, had shown interest in her, who she liked, whereas no Christian guys had. And she was 39 years old and was realising that this was really her last chance to to get married and have kids, which she really wanted to do. But she also knew that this 
guy who wasn't a Christian was actually going to lead her away from Christ. And in the end, she chose Christ. And you could see, and knowing her, it was a really hard decision. I bet you that she found the road incredibly rough at that point. Maybe you're finding the road rough right now. Maybe there's someone, a guy or girl, giving you a lot of attention who's not a Christian and you're tempted to just give in. Maybe you're attracted to someone of the same sex and it just feels too hard to follow God's way. Maybe someone you love is is sick and dying and, and you're wondering what on earth God is doing. Maybe your kids have given up on God and you're finding it hard to accept that they've walked away from their only hope in in Jesus. Jesus says to us right up front, the way is hard. We shouldn't be deluded into thinking it'll be easy. But we need to hear this too. Don't be deluded into thinking that just because it's hard, it's not worth it. This road ends in a spectacular place where we will live with God forever, in a world where there will be no pain, no tears, no hatred, or no loneliness, no hung parliaments, but no uninspirational politics either, no more funerals, a place of perfect relationship with God and with each other. And of course, even before the end, along the way, there are those moments on spectacular heights, looking towards our destination where we stand side by side with each other. Jesus goes on to warn us of another potential delusion. He says, don't be deluded by the people you meet along the journey. Not everyone is on your side. Have a look at verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By your fruit you will know them. Uh, sorry, <clears throat> by their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. See, while we have each other as company on this journey, we shouldn't be deluded into thinking that everyone is one of us. There are people you meet along the way who want to lead you off the road that leads to life. I mean, they might not even recognise it in themselves. They might think they're sheep. The thing about churches is that we will always attract all sorts of people because we're accepting and we're on about love and generosity. And so you can't just turn up to a church and, and judge what Christians are like just by looking at those around you. To recognise a son or daughter of God means walking alongside them patiently and seeing what they produce is their faith is their love, is their sincerity and generosity, truth and and purity and endurance. Is there a willingness to be persecuted for Christ? Are there good works and are those good works done for show or for God alone? See, fruit takes time to grow and it takes time to observe. But Jesus says only believers can produce the fruit of believers. Often those who are wolves in sheep's clothing are the people who will actually tell us to take the easier road. They'll say things like, 
trust God and, and your way will be smooth. If you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. God wants you to have lots of money. They'll, they'll say things even like, you don't need to listen to everything that Paul says in the Bible. Not everything that Paul says in the Bible is what God thinks. They'll say things like, we need to bring Paul up to date in what he teaches. Or they'll say, not all the Word of God is, is sorry, not all the Bible is the Word of God. We need to figure out which bits are him speaking and, and which bits are not. They'll say things like, God is happy with homosexuality. God's happy with sex before marriage. God's happy with divorce. God's on about love after all. He wants people to be happy. Take the easy road. We need to make sure that we're not deluded. I've met ministers who don't believe in the devil. Youth ministers who live with their boyfriends. Just up the road, there's a church where the minister has publicly said that she doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. When my mum was sick and dying, she started listening to people saying to her if she just had enough faith, she'd be healed. There are plenty of wolves out there who would undermine our trust and dependence on Jesus if we let them delude us. Jesus then goes on to say, don't be deluded by yourself about which journey you're actually on. Looking and sounding like we know Jesus does not equal actually knowing Jesus. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil dwellers, you evildoers. What a shock it's going to be for those people. They call Jesus Lord. They even do amazing things in his name, but Jesus says they won't enter God's kingdom. Why not? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A day is coming, Jesus says, when he'll judge everyone. And those who don't know him will be cast away from him, including those who look like they know him, but in fact don't. The scariest words you could ever imagine hearing are these words from Jesus, away from me. See, what we might not realise is to be cast away from Jesus is to be separated from the source of everything that's good in this life, like food, fun, friendship, Family, to depart from Christ is to go into an opposite world of of loneliness and hatred and depression and darkness. It's an incredibly confronting passage, this bit, isn't it? Because the one who will enter the kingdom of, of God is the one who does the will of the Father. It makes me feel like there'll only be one person in heaven, Jesus, and the rest of us will be cast out. Because who of us really does the will of the Father completely? But did you notice in the end where Jesus' final judgment lies? He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. What it all comes down to is not what we've said, it's not what we've done, it's not even that we think we know Jesus. What it all comes down to in the end is that he knows us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this, here is the 
crucial question. Has Jesus known us or not? There is nothing left for us to cling to, not even our confession or obedience. There is only His Word, I have known thee. How does this make you feel? I know for some people who particularly have a kind of introspective personality and and perhaps you are too harsh on yourself, it'll worry you because you're thinking, what if Jesus doesn't really know me? What if I, I haven't really done the Father's will? Well, what is the Father's will that He wants us to do so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven? Look at Matthew 21 where Jesus tells a parable about the Father's will. He says to Pharisees, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? In other words, who does the will of the father? They answer, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The sinners. The sinners enter the kingdom of God because they listen to God's call. Those who come to Jesus, who come through the narrow gate, they're the ones who heed God's call. They're the ones who who do the will of the Father. The people that Jesus knows are the ones who hear his call and respond. No matter who they are, whether tax collectors or prostitutes, no matter what they've done, whoever repents and believes in Jesus is the one who does the will of the Father. Have you heard the call of Christ in your life? Have you responded with faith faith and repentance? If so, then you can know that Jesus knows you. Jesus finishes by saying, a life built on him is safe from delusion and can't be destroyed. Look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. A life built on Jesus is a life that will stand Now, we've already seen that Jesus' point is not that it's a life that will be smooth and easy. There'll still be storms in this life. But if your life is built on Jesus, it's a life that can't be toppled. As we finish the Sermon on the Mount, what are you building your life upon? Is it Jesus? Is it His words? Is it on something that can't be shaken in this life to come or in the life, in this life or the life to come? Or are, you, or are you building it on something else? Family, career, intelligence, relationships, your youth. Nothing else is solid ground. Even if we make it through this life relatively unshaken, the only way we can stand before the Father at the end is if we are built on Christ. Have you ever been on a, a crazy freeway like in Melbourne or something like that. And um, you've realised that you shouldn't be on it. And if you don't hurry up and take action, you're going to end up in Brisbane when you're trying to get to Adelaide. I love those situations when it's other people and you see them cut across four lanes of traffic or 
kind of reverse 500 metres to the exit. Or you see little Hyundai Excels bobbing across the median strip, trying to do a four-wheel drive sort of thing. I'm always amazed at the, the ridiculous levels that people will go to to get off the freeway they're on and get off onto the road that they want to be on. Well, Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount here. It's pretty intense, as you've probably noticed. And he challenges us to change roads, whatever it takes, even if it costs us our lifestyle, even if it were to cost us friends or or a relationship in another place, unbelievably, Jesus says, even if it were to cost you your family, it would still be worth it. If it were to cost us the world, still, we couldn't be disappointed with the life that we gain. The journey following Jesus might be hard, but without a doubt, Jesus says it's worth it. I've always found this to be true. Even just in this life, I've always found it, no matter how hard it gets, to be true. Haven't you found it to be the same? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, it's so challenging and yet it's so spectacular that we could be considered sons and daughters of you because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, the true Son of God, calling us to become his brothers and sisters. And Lord, we thank you that it's not a call that in the end is based on our performance, but is based on us coming to Christ, asking you to forgive our debts, and leaning completely on this solid rock that won't disappoint us. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus' call to follow you is not just a call, but is also the power to do it, that he went to the cross to make it possible for us to become your sons and daughters, to be completely forgiven in your eyes. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus perfectly fulfills the Sermon on the Mount, that he loved his enemies They're dying on the cross so that they could become sons and daughters of you. Lord, we thank you that he turned the other cheek. Lord, we thank you for his saving sacrifice on the cross for us and his example. And we ask, Lord, that we would be a people who follow him on this rough road, knowing that it ends in a spectacular place. Help those who are finding the road particularly rough at the moment. Give them a fresh sight of where we're headed, of who you are and your love and control, even when we don't understand. And Lord, help us, other brothers and sisters here, to stand alongside each other and give support on this road. And we ask this confident that Jesus says at the end of Matthew that he will be with us always. Amen.